How's it going, everybody? Welcome to episode number 77, the Master My Garden podcast. Now, this week's episode is a very interesting one. We're joined by Colm O'Driscoll, head gardener in Airfield Gardens, which is part of Airfield Estate. Now, these gardens, they're actually quite special. They're, there's a lot going on in them. So you have absolutely superb um, edible gardens, all organic produce, which is... I think consumed mostly on site on the site restaurant. And then we have some very good ornamental gardens. There's um walled garden, as I said, the organic food garden, sunken garden, there's a uh, greenhouse, and then there's various borders and various types of borders. It's a six acre garden in total, uh, all being gardened organically, which is, which is great. And the gardens originally when they opened in 1999, Jimmy Blake was the head gardener. And they went through a transition in 2012, and Colm now is the head gardener. And uh, as I said, there's lots to talk about and lots of really interesting areas. Uh, Colm, when, I suppose if, when, you, when you see them on, on social channels, they, they grow in a very interesting way. Um, I saw him a couple of weeks ago dipping potatoes into a gel, I think a seaweed gel. So it'll be interesting to hear about that and some, and some other, as I say, interesting and very environmentally friendly ways of gardening. So, Colm, you're very, very welcome to Master My Garden Podcast. Thanks for having me, John. Uh, we're ha- after having quite a few technical issues there for the <laughs> for for people listening. Um, uh, as many of you know, I'm not techie at all, and uh, there was some problem with connection, but you're coming through quite clear, uh, and it's great to have you on. Um, as I said, the gardens, there's a... It's a six-acre six garden, so in, in itself, that's a substantial area. Um, there's lots of elements within that as well. So again, it's a it's a big, it's a big project and a big job and an important job that you have. So maybe just tell us a little bit firstly about the gardens and about yourself and and how you ended up uh, where you are today as head gardener of of Airfield Estate, Estate Gardens. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I suppose uh, I started here nearly eight years ago, eight years ago this September. And and before that, I'd worked in various areas of horticulture from garden centres through to landscaping firms. Um, I had a short stint in Kew Gardens in, in, in London um, and and really kind of moved around quite a bit. Um, but ultimately, my, my aim was always to get a role um, in a garden like this. Um, I was really drawn by the um, to work in an area where you can follow plants through all stages of their life cycle as opposed to in a nursery where you might just get them to a potted size or in a garden center where you're selling them usually in flower yeah. so it, it's nice to work i suppose from seed to flower i guess um and work in a garden setting like this um so originally i started in the or, or, ornamental side of things um as head ornamental gardener alongside kitty scully who managed the food gardens and a little over four years ago now, um, Kitty departed and I took over the role as head gardener of the, the entire gardens in Airfield. Um, yeah, so we've a um, relatively small team for the amount of ground we cover. Um, we have three full-time gardeners, um, Haggai, Martin and David, who, who work really hard alongside myself. Uh, and one part-time uh, groundsman, Tristan. And that's the core team that uh, aims to deliver, um, I suppose, the gardens on an annual basis. Occasionally we get help with interns. We were blessed with a really good batch of interns and students this year, which has been a great helping hand. We didn't have any last year because of COVID, so it's been a really welcome boost to have them on board. Um, so, yeah, it's going pretty well. 
Yeah. From a uh, student's perspective, actually, it couldn't it couldn't be a nicer environment to learn because um, you have, I suppose you have all elements of it. You have, as you said, you're taking a plant through from from initial stages, seed or cutting or whatever, through to um, maturity. And you have both the ornamental and the edible side of, of it as well. So from from a person who's a student and looking to do their placements, like you couldn't, you couldn't actually land in a better place for variety anyway. Absolutely. We'd like to think so at least. Um, definitely. Obviously Airfield is a charity and an education is it's um, how it gets a charitable status. So education is really at the core of everything we do here. So student placements are really not just important for helping getting work done and the garden done, but also for educating the students and the public about how to garden organically or how to produce food or grow flowers healthily. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a really important aspect of the gardens. Um, and uh, I suppose when we when we kind of, when I think of a gardener, I, I think it's really important that, especially a craft gardener, that we should be able to work across all areas of horticulture where possible. Um, and that's what's really nice about this space, that it gives you an, the opportunity to not just work in the food production side of things, um, but also in the ornamental side of things. Yeah. So it's yeah, a really nice diverse site and uh, definitely a, a good place to work for sure. Yeah, and and about the gardens themselves. So as I said, they've you have several elements to it. So maybe just give us an overview of those elements. Um, you know, the wall garden, the organic food garden, and so on. Yeah, so I suppose the garden um, went through a redesign in around 2012, 2013, um, and that kind of really defined the the landscape into set set gardens or small gardens within the overall landscape and we've kind of la- labeled them depending on their locations and the planting style that were gone into it but over the last eight years we've really changed the original designs considerably like a lot of them are not really recognizable to the original design um, as, as we've needed to adapt the planting to like the, the microclimate that's here and also just to keep gardens interesting obviously a garden that is static um, isn't the most interesting thing to uh, for a visitor or for a worker. So we'd like our garden to evolve and, and um, feel that's a really important part of um, gardening here in Airfield. So, yeah, the wall garden um, is centred around the Overend's home. Um, and that that's, again, probably, the I suppose, the jewel in the crown when it comes to the ornamental effort, at least. Um, and outside of that, then we've a, a new orchard border that we developed, which um, is coming on really strong. We planted it just before COVID and probably at the moment that's stealing the wall garden thunder. Um, it, it's filled with colour and uh, coming on really nicely. So we, we were kind of heavy on herbaceous plantings in a lot of the areas um, throughout the estate. Even the original redesigns, there was a strong element of herbaceous planting um, yeah. put through all areas of the, the estate. Um, and it's something I'm personally very interested in and the team are as well. So it's something we, we kind of work at and, and develop. And obviously the results of that style of planting can be um, a lot more fluid and uh, changeable, which is good from, a, again, visitor's perspective and from a gardener perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, some of the other spaces, I suppose, um, you mentioned the, the food garden. And again, that is really um a huge takes up a huge amount of our time um it's two acres uh certified organic 
we manage all the gardens organically, but only the food garden is certified. And okay. um, it wouldn't really make too much sense for us to certify the ornamental areas. It would be a lot more paperwork and we'd be really limiting ourselves to available organic plants, mm-hmm. um, which is a small pool to select from currently. So yeah. um, as much as we'd love to have the whole site certified organic, we just focus on the food production side of things at present. And um, the food garden originally, again, was laid out in a fairly potage style, like so really um, with education at its core. But over the years, um, as you said earlier, we, we supply the on-site cafe and farmer's market. Um, we, we've tried to ramp up the production side of things. Um, and the reason being, obviously, we, we have an on-site customer who, who wants to use our produce, but we also want to showcase what can be achieved in a relatively small space yeah. um, and what kind of yields you can get out of it. So we really try and emulate market garden techniques in, these, um, in, the, in the food garden. Um, there's four tunnels in total so visitors might only see the tunnels from a distance but there's four tunnels in total that um we produce out of and we've also started to grow in a in a field beside one of the tunnels so all in it's it's tipping on two acres of of food production there as well a lot of, a lot of work in that all right it's uh two acres for anyone that that grows veg two acres of well-maintained veg there's a lot of work on a continuous basis there but um great great to have uh, on-site cafe and and the farmer's market as well to, to feed that into so local um you mentioned there the orchard border what exactly is that that sounds like it's uh it's a cross between ornamental and edible production and uh, um, yeah in this case it, we do a bit of that in this case it's not so much i tell you how it got its name really is we used to have an orchard well they adopted an orchard um, so we, we've um, there was a line of old dying crab apples that we took out to 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 sow, plant this border up with. So um, it's more related okay, to so education as much as anything else. Oh, but yeah. Um, yeah, but it, it's um, it's a it's a border, I suppose. That um, any visitor who comes to Airfield, it's a very windy site and and it slopes predominantly south facing. So it's actually quite a harsh environment to grow plants in. So when we're redesigning that that was at the forefront of our thoughts is to like select plants that are going to be wind tolerant, drought tolerant, but yet still give a long display of color and interest. So that was kind of at the forefront of our thoughts when we were planting. And so far we've, um, we're hitting, we're ticking those boxes and it's evolving every year, which is always fun. Um, But we do, as you said, um, as you alluded to, we do use edibles in our ornamental borders and parts. Um, it's definitely something. Um, another benefit, I suppose, of working across both areas is that you get to you get to see things in in both areas that maybe are applicable to the alternative area. So something that's in food production that actually might be applicable for uh, an ornamental setting. For example, only yesterday we had some chicory plants that were going to seed radicchio, and they, as they were flowering, they're putting on these lovely structured stems that really looked quite spectacular so we dug them up and transplanted them into into an ornamental area you know to let them flower there um so there are crossovers there all the time which um can definitely enhance both areas yeah it's something i've seen a a good bit lately is that people are are doing this kind of crossover and uh, there really is some gorgeous edible plants that when in the middle of a border a middle of a herbaceous border they actually they hold their own in terms of the look 
and then obviously Definitely. you have you have the benefit of of being able to to eat them as well so there is yeah there's yeah. a little bit of that and there seems to be a more of a move towards that this sort of combination border which is which is really good to see absolutely yeah for sure and i mean some of the kales and chard and 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 plants like that can really add a lot to it to any border really yeah so yeah. Um, it's definitely something we embrace yeah um you mentioned something there and we'll, we'll get on to you know how you're putting your own stamp on the gardens in a second but you mentioned something there that we also spoke about just slightly off air is that you're on a, a dry sort of windy site um mm. uh but it's something that i've noticed as well like we we've had two weeks ago we had where I am here in County Leash, we had quite a bit of rain over two days mm. and yet still less than 10 days later, everywhere is bone dry. And what we seem to have regularly now, we have obviously warm temperatures for the last week and, and a good bit of sunshine, but there seems to be a drying wind all the time. Have Is that something that you guys have noticed or is it? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, even going back like uh, over the last eight years, that drawing wind has been a constant here. Like yeah. it's, um, it could, we're basically, there's a hill not far from us and it comes down off that and just blows constantly. So yeah, it's, it's definitely a challenge and it makes you rethink plants and, and what plants you can use. In the original redesign, there was quite a lot of ligularias and hostas and big leaf plants used. And they just really, if I went out into the garden now and had a look, you'll see them all drooping and looking really sad. You know, they just can't tolerate that kind of drying wind, you know. Yeah. Um, so we've had to rethink that and, and choose plants with smaller foliage or wind tolerant um, foliage that won't show those signs. Um, so rather than trying to persist with the, the plant, the wrong plant in the in the wrong situation, we're trying to find the plant that works best, you know, uh, and use that where possible. So, yeah, it's it. it, it good because it, it it makes you um i suppose look beyond the the standard plant um that is available out there and we do a lot from seeds and cuttings and uh, are always on the lookout for more um interesting plants but it is definitely a, a, an added challenge for sure yeah that's something that i didn't uh, well i i could be i suppose wrong in saying that but it's not something that i think was always there it, it seems to have been just the last couple of years particularly i know yeah maybe it has been always there but i don't know it just seems to to be no more noticeable to me anyway in the last few years um, yeah fair. Yeah. you've taken over i suppose this this job and in in terms of size it's quite a big and very diverse job with lots of uh elements to it so you have to be i suppose on top of your game to manage all of that but of a garden of that size and as i said jimmy blake you know very very good gardener, well-renowned plants person. And, uh, you know, he was there originally when the gardens opened. And I suppose you, you're in now and you're trying to put your own stamp on it. So tell me some of the things we touched on it a little bit. Maybe tell me some of the things that you're doing to kind of put your own stamp on the gardens. Yeah, I suppose um, there, there's, depending on the area you're working in, there's lots of different stamps, I suppose, we're putting down. And I would say it's not just me, it's the team yeah, of gardeners absolutely. that are here. And I'm blessed to have a really good team. And I think that makes everything a lot easier. Um, but I suppose one of the aspects we'd apply across the gardens is the idea of regenerative horticulture. So um, I suppose there's a kind of regenerative agriculture in particular is, is quite, um, quite a topical um, movement at the moment. And there's lots of people um, talking about it. Um, but if we look at regenerative horticulture, I suppose it's maybe not often as widely discussed, perhaps, or maybe as um, widely known or defined. But um, it's definitely something we we kind of look at, and 
really I'm a pain to I know there's always new fads and new labels and uh, descriptions going around in horticulture and um, and I'm not just we're not looking to jump on a bandwagon but what it is good is that this definition really kind of encapsulates lots of things that we do in the garden yeah. and there's like six pillars to it I suppose we look at and the first would be just organic so we've always uh, since Kitty and Kitty Scully who was first the food garden here she installed organic that ethos in the team and for the last five to six years all the gardens have been managed organically. So that's kind of at the core of it. And the next thing would be then using cover crops. And essentially this is really relating to like not leaving any bare soil. And this is applicable in like herbaceous borders as it is in a food garden. And it's the idea of getting living roots in soil as much as we can. So um, in a food garden, as I said, this might be using cover crops over the winter months. Um, In the ornamentals, this might be just leaving standing plants, um, not, been too quick to cut back in the autumn because we can tend to expose more bare soil when we do and if we do cut back maybe to get a mulch down to protect the soil and the soil structure over the winter months that kind of brings us on to the next thing which is compost and mulches Um, and we use a lot of composting in different mulches just today in the gardens the Haggai and the guys in the food garden were applying uh, mulched up miscanthus on some of our perennial vegetable beds again just to try and conserve moisture in the soil and uh, prevent weeds from germinating and growing. So we use a various different types of compost and mulches depending on where we want to compost and mulch and what we have growing in it. So if we're growing a shrub border, we'll use obviously uh, bark chip, which will be um, uh, obviously encourage more fungal activity in the soil, which is great for um, shrub tree and shrub growth. While in the food garden, we'll use more of our own compost or sometimes buy in enriched compost, which again is bacterial dominant. And again, that will work better for the annual vegetable crops that we're growing in the, in the vegetable garden. Um, and then the other couple of things in it, I suppose, is crop rotation and intercropping. So crop rotation is always part and parcel of our uh, organic standards. So it's nothing new there. It's not a new idea. It's, it's still um, as relevant as it was. And it's a practice we still do. Um, and then intercropping, I suppose, the idea of trying to move away from um, monocultures and just straight lines of one vegetable and trying to introduce more polycultures into the mix. Um, and this can be uh, challenging in the food garden perspective, trying to find a balance of plants that can grow um, side by side and still be productive. And we take inspiration from, I suppose, the ornamental gardens in this sense, because that's essentially what a herbaceous border is. It's a, harmonious grouping of planting that can grow and thrive together in one area and we're trying to sometimes find that balance in the food garden as well and it's definitely an area we want to work more on um, and then the last kind of pillar of the six would be low till or no till um, um, and this is something we've been again practicing as much as possible where where possible for for the last few years and um Really, we, we do have a rotavator on site, I won't deny that, but like it got pulled out once this year to do one bed for carrots, and, and that's kind of it. So once we really have initial ground established, um, we really try and practice uh, no-till. And obviously having compost and a regular supply of compost is key to that, yeah. um, and that's why our composting process is really important as well. So I'd say like from a, that, that's kind of a overall summary of the regenerative horticulture practices. And you can see that they're not just, um, they're not just kind of, um, they, they're not exclusive to the food garden side of things. You can incorporate them into the ornamental side too, which is, I think is really important and something that 
um, really shouldn't be overlooked, you know. Yeah, and they're really, I suppose, in terms of growing organically, mm. um, or growing in any scenario, but, but particularly growing organically, all of those make your job. Because if, you, if, you're, if you're going about growing vegetables in a traditional format and try to do it organically, so you're plowing the ground, tilling the ground and doing mm. all of that, uh, it's very difficult to do it with the challenges mm. of pests and weeds and so on. If you're not mm. sort of following those principles that you're talking about, where you're mulching and intercropping and covering soil and you're feeding the ground. And I know no dig as a, as a concept has become hugely popular. But what you're talking about really is a broader sort of variation of that. Not a variation. It's a, it's a broader um, explanation of that. And I've mentioned several times I go back to my grandparents garden and they would have practiced no dig. And this was 50 years ago when yeah. it wasn't necessarily spoken about, but that's just the way people gardened. And it was a mix of different types of both orna ornamentals and edibles in the same space. Very good, um, a very good ecosystem built up in that area. And typically not many pest disease or weed problems because everything was working, as you say, in harmony. And that's kind of, I guess, what you're, what you're trying to work towards there with your six pillars. Absolutely, yeah, I think so. And as you said, it is it is nothing new. And I think what when we when we switched to a more chemical focused means of growing, which relied on the application of artificial fertilizers and and seeds, that 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 model, you know, you can't just transition over to organic and expect that model to work because you're cutting out all those um, synthetic chemicals. You know what I mean? So you need to activate the soil biology, and this yeah. is through methods like this we build up the soil structure and the soil health. And as a result, then the soil can feed the plants. And, and as you said, if you crave a, a healthy soil and a healthy um, plant life on top, the biodiversity and everything else follows suit. And hopefully your pest and disease problems start to start to um, go away to some extent. I would say we're absolutely not pest free. You know what I mean? I could, if yeah, you wanted me to go down to the garden and find some aphids, I could do it pretty readily, yeah. pretty easily. And we have a bit of disease as well, but again, it's all about imbalance. It's, it's things that we can cope with that, yeah, there might be an aphid or two on a cucumber or courgette, but it's not the be end on it. It's not going to take the whole crop out. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's, there's ladybirds there and waiting and, you know, they'll catch up eventually. So, um, yeah, it's about working with nature, I suppose, really, and, and finding that balance more. Yeah, find the balance. And I think that's that's critical as well. You know, if somebody, somebody for example, was starting a, a veg garden for the very first time yeah, and they have a an open space at the back of their house and they put in raised beds and there isn't much else out there. And the next thing they land in lettuce and they land in, you know, some of these things. Aphids are going to just flock to that because there's not much else going on at that point in time. So I think it is important for anybody who's maybe starting to grow veg or who's who's looking to get better at growing veg is to try and create that ecosystem that you guys are at because that's what gives you the balance. Okay, you have aphids, but uh, some here and there but because mm. you have aphids you definitely have ladybirds um, and yeah, exactly. so it, it it all starts to to work together i guess mm. tell us a little bit uh we're, we're talking a bit a good bit about the the veg garden here at the minute and we'll mm. come back to the ornamentals shortly but you i mentioned that i saw you guys dipping uh, seed potatoes prior to planting in mm. what for all the world looked like a gel what what was that or or how has it worked or do you know yet 
Yeah, so basically, um, I suppose at one of the core drivers of Howie Garden is education, and that's not just of the public, it's of ourselves as well. And um, we're always looking to new methods and, and, and new ways of growing, I suppose. And um, definitely, um, I was lucky enough to cross paths with um, um, Karen, who, who owns uh, ProBioCarbon, um, a, a company an Irish company, basically, that um, supplies, um, as its name suggests, biochar, which yeah. is inoculated with bacteria. Um, and she works alongside another company called Simi Grow, which are an Irish, again, um, liquid seaweed company who are looking to harness the benefits of seaweed and combine it with the benefits of um, biology, biochar. so bacteria and um, other elements that can overall improve plant and soil health. So um, we took on a trial um, this year with, with ProBioCarbon and um, Simigrow. And the gel that you're referring to is basically a, a, a root gel dip that Simigrow have developed. And it is um, cold-pressed seaweed. And it, for all intents and purposes, feels like a glue, like a, yeah, like a gulpy kind of um yeah it looked like jelly <laughs> yeah, it's slippy it's a weird product yeah and we were looking really to to uh to dip the dip the sea the potatoes in that um before planting and before that we actually applied biochar out onto the bed so we applied um the biochar which was inoculated with bactacillus mm-hmm. this beneficial bacteria that karen has um grew it's an irish strain of the bacteria so it's suited to irish conditions and will thrive in irish conditions and that that basically teams up with plants' roots and in, it helps build that relationship between the soil and the plant, um, which in turn makes plants more resilient and healthier. So what we're hoping to look at and find out in this trial basically is to see, well, one, is there any, is there any benefit to this? We did a control bed of potatoes where neither of the products were applied and then we applied this one um, to, the, to the main bed. And uh, what we'd be expecting really to see is maybe not a huge increase in yield. Um, the potatoes so far all look really healthy. I would say that the, the, the bed which the trial has been conducted on, the potatoes are probably a bit stronger growing so far. Um, but what Karen would expect us to find that results in is actually in the potatoes we harvest, um, that the overall quality of the potatoes will be better. Okay. There mightn't be more in yield, but there'll be less in waste. So again, it's a result of a healthier plant that the potato tubers are formed better. And um, basically, that's where we'll hope to see the differences. Um, so a lot of these products were before when we were used to applying a chemical, let's say we apply a load of nitrogen, we see an impact of a lot more greener growth. These are more kind of gentle approaches. Um, again, going along with that idea of more balanced uh, approaches to nature, that we're not just applying one one uh, one chemical or one um, one nutrient and, and seeing a direct impact. We're trying to create a healthy balance in the soil and get the results there. So it's been it'll be interesting. They won't be far away from being harvested now. The second early's and um, the variety we use, so uh, it won't be too far away before we get to see the fruits of these results. Um, yeah. And we're sure to keep people updated via Instagram on those. Yeah, it'll be interesting um, to see that. Um, yeah. Just the, the the biochar is that so is that essentially mycorrhizal fungi is in that is that what it is well it so i suppose we have mycorrhizal fun, fungi and then we have bacteria and in this case it's more bacteria it's not fungi so the the biochar itself in in this case was um sunflower husks that were were char biochar down 
and then inoculated with the bacteria. Um, okay. She also has another product based on olive stone. Um, so again, waste products from other industries that she's um, getting made into char and then inoculating with the bacteria. So it's beneficial bacteria as opposed to beneficial fungi. Beneficial bacteria, yeah. Yeah, yeah so like generally speaking, fungi will probably be more beneficial to like trees and shrubs. And this is generally speaking, you know, but yeah. bacteria will be quicker to form bonds with annual plants. Um, so that's why we're particularly interested in, in them in a, in a vegetable perspective where okay. the majority of the plants are annuals. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I, I actually have, and I'm currently still doing, a sort of a mini trial on mycorrhizal mm. fungi on tomatoes. And, oh, yeah. Uh, so 10 tomatoes in a row, one of, one of them, which is in the middle of the row, hasn't had any mycorrhizal applied. Now, yeah. te- technically speaking, the mycorrhizal would probably find it anyway. Yeah, uh, yeah. But it is noticeable so far, and they're they're still at the relatively early stages, but it's noticeable so far that they're pretty much grown, as you said earlier, they're pretty much grown at exactly the same heights. There's no big variance yeah. in, in height. But and they're getting more or less the same water. They get occasional uh, food, seaweed. But mm. it's not any major difference in anything except if there was a day where they didn't get enough water or I missed them a little bit. Mm. The one plant that it seems to affect is that plant and okay, not the yeah, others. Yeah. Even though they're yeah, in the same yeah. line, so they are getting the same yeah. amount of water. It's not that one is getting more than the other, but yeah. but it seems to be a little bit more resilience built in. Now, it's early days, so I, I haven't seen the full picture yet, but it's something that yeah. is there. So it seems to be a more, as I say, resilient plant building building there. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. Um, in terms of the the borders that are there, herbaceous is is still strong for you guys. It's, it's a big part of it. Uh, tell mm. us about the types of planting and possibly the styles of planting and is there particular plants you know that are your go-to plants within those borders yeah um so i guess the, the style and type of planting is always evolving and um, we're as a team we're always on the hunt for new plants and when we get to go to visit new gardens we're always taking new cuttings and that can heavily influence the plants in in any new border we do like so the example of the orchard border, I mean, 90% of the seed in that or plants in that was grown from seed or cuttings, you know, not many purchased. So um, it really can depend on, I suppose, what we're taking a fancy to at any one time. Yeah. And um, the style of planting would be quite natural. Like um, we obviously get a lot of visitors to the garden who might actually be here for the farm, you know, and aren't particularly into garden. And they'd often reference that, like, oh, don't the wild borders look really nice? And, <laughs> um, you know, little do they know we'd be manicuring them for days <laughs> to yeah, look yeah. that way, you know what yeah. I mean? But that is kind of that style that we're trying to emulate, I suppose. We do try to integrate a shrub layer of, like, um, of, into the borders as well, you know, because obviously herbaceous will have a, a certain amount of lifestyle and we want to create structure and winter interest through borders. So um, shrubs will obviously provide some of that. Um grasses are really important for us here um as On well dry like site. I, yeah we windy dry site so grasses can really um be such a huge help to us probably two a couple of our favorites would be uh um uh ichu which is very like the ponytails and um steepa grass but just kind of a bit more refined maybe or a bit nicer in fluorescence um and really easy from seed we, we grew that last year and it was a real hit last year in the borders. Um, the others would be Mes- Miscanthus nepalensis, another really great seed head um, that we use quite a lot. 
um, through uh, various different borders around this site. Um, we're lucky enough as well to have like quite a mild climate here. Like we, we probably get away with plants here that you might struggle with in leash, you know. Yeah. Um, so we'd have a lot of vacuums, a lot of salvias and um, a lot of tender perennials and shrubs that we can overwinter like echium candicans would overwinter outside here no problem okay. um and we'd have a lot of uh yeah a lot of salvias that that will overwinter out here as well so we we kind of try and get again as much interesting plants as we can it was obviously a lot easier pre uh brexit but we are lucky to have a great range of nurseries here that we can always um buy from and then bulk up our stocks with um, so yeah, it's kind of an ever change, ever evolving palette of plants. I'd say um, we've succulents year round outside, agaves, opuntias, yeah, things like that, aloes that we can grow outside year round in the garden, which is, really is a testament to how sheltered it can be here at yeah, times. For sure, because you wouldn't have a mm. hope of doing that for, I'd say, big large portions of the country. So yeah, that's no that's, big time. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I know that you guys sell sort of flowers from cut flowers from the from the farmer's market as well does that fall under your remit yeah we were lucky enough we always had a cut flower bed here and martina one of the gardeners really manages that and, and is bringing it on from strength to strength every year and there's a, a local lady that vivian brophy who's a well she's a ex-head of architecture in ucd a very talented lady and um, but has taken uh, to flower arranging as well and it was really keen to kind of connect with um, I suppose locally grown sustainable flowers so we've cut flower beds as you enter the food garden what she does is comes every Friday and Saturday and um, she harvests cut flowers directly from there and sometimes you know sympathetically harvests from the borders as well and creates these beautiful <laughs> You're chasing her out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, chasing her eyes, absolutely. Yeah, uh, she's very respectful in fairness. I'd never have to. Yeah. Uh, but uh, no, no. So she she puts together those um, those bouquets, and uh, yeah, it's something we did last year, um, all through COVID, and it was great for people to be able to take a piece of the garden home with them as they leave. Um, so uh, she starts it back up again this year, and as always, her her bouquets are exceptional and uh, really good value as well. I mean, it's organically grown cut flowers and. They're a steal at 15 and 30 euro respectively for the bouquets. So, um, yeah, and as yeah, you said, sustainable and, and local grown. I I uh, had a pod, the last week's podcast episode was a, was with uh, the flower farmers of Ireland. And, and that was, you know, that was what that was about was, um, I suppose it was talking about the fact that a lot of these flowers can be grown in Ireland. But as it stands at the moment, we don't. We bring in most of ours. So, yeah, it's it's good to see that. that yeah, for that sure. Yeah. Uh, it's it's really interesting. There's some like we we could probably talk for another few hours, but I, I'm conscious <laughs> we've already spoken for for quite a while. Maybe you could tell tell us where obviously people who who might have visited previously will know about it. But for for anyone who hasn't, tell us where people can find Airfield. I know online and and so on, and direct yeah. people to where wherever you want to direct them to. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the airfield itself is located right beside the shopping centre. So if you're ever dragged along to the shopping centre and want <laughs> a, a break from the, the concrete jungle that is the shopping centre, you can always just walk up the road. And we're here in Dundrum in the suburbs of Dublin. Um, online, yeah, at Airfield Gardens on Instagram is probably where you'll get the most garden-focused feed in relation to airfields. We're obviously on Facebook and Instagram as Airfield Estate as well. But if you're after kind of garden content, Airfield Gardens is managed by the, the garden team here myself. Um, and that's where we'll post up any update on that. 
Um, and obviously airfield.ie as a, as a website always has uh, the latest information regarding opening times and any ongoings in the estate. So that's another uh, resource to direct you towards, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. And there is, uh, as I said, there is lots of, particularly on your, on your Instagram, you have lots of uh, interesting, that's where I came across the, the trial with the with the gel on the potatoes and yeah, I say lots of lots of interesting stuff there, and and very good knowledge from both Colum and the team. So yeah, it's it's uh, definitely worth following there. Colum, it's as I say, it's been a great chat. We could talk for ages because there's so much going on there in in Airfield, and with you as the helm of it, there's as I said, there's there's so much we could delve into. Um, but it's been a real pleasure, and thank you very very much for coming on Master My Garden podcast. Thanks a million for having me. So that's been this week's episode. A huge thanks to Colin for coming on. It was a, a great chat. Uh, as I say, there's there's lots going on there, um, but they seem to do it in a, in a really good way. And as you said, he's a, built a good team around him, but lots of interesting things, uh, trying trying different plants, trying different methods. And that's always a great way to to learn and, and, and to build. And so, as I say, worth, worth checking out if you get a chance. If you're enjoying the podcast, please share it with all your gardening friends. And as I say, podcasting, it's a little bit, I'm behind the microphone, nobody sees me. Um, but it's great to hear from you guys, great to hear from the listeners. So if you can at all, get in touch. If there's anything you'd like me to cover in an episode, I'd be glad to do that. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook under Master My Garden and email addresses info at mastermygarden.com. So that's been this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And until the next time, happy gardening. <music>